This is the Hockey News Podcast. It's the Hockey News Podcast presented by Bet Jim and McKenny Hockey. Ryan! Yes. It's the best time of year. It certainly is. I've said that about five times throughout the course of this hockey season. But, but this time you mean it. This time I really do mean it. I am not lying to you. Yeah. This is the best time of the year. It's the first, I would say it's the best time in the sports calendar. Because mm-hmm. we get NHL playoffs, we got NBA playoffs, MLB season starting. Uh, what a lovely, lovely time. Um, but obviously we are the Hockey News Podcast. We're going to talk about that. Yes. Um, so on this show, we're obviously going to be teeing up every single you know first round series. We're getting into that. But first... We have to cover some. Uh, we have to cover some news that happened before that. It was some HR. It was. It was. Uh, a, I would say a Black Friday, if it was you totally will. Totally a Black Friday. Like it was. You know, like it, every team decided. All right, we didn't make the playoffs, so time to time, time to mutually part ways with mm-hmm. uh, the people who failed to, to get us there. Um, starting with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who did not mutually part ways. They straight up fired uh, <laughs> Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. They cleaned house in there. Um, in their front office, basically. And uh, this is a very interesting uh, path forward for Pittsburgh. It's one of the most intriguing, I would say, openings that are around the league for, uh, for, for a front office, but also just in terms of what the core is like and everything. What do you think of this change? Well, it was certainly warranted mm-hmm. uh, based on how Pittsburgh has fared the past couple of seasons, really. I mean, even when they made the playoffs... Even with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, they were never truly a threat, mm-hmm. right? Um, they were just hanging on, kind of. They were just yeah. hanging on, just you know, just having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Crosby and Malkin and Latang, for that matter. They want to win again. Yeah. It's a tough thing to do when you have the lineup they do. When you've been going it, going for it for so long, you don't have a pipeline to speak of. You know, you can rely on free agency a bit. You can make big trades, but it feels like this organization needed that reset in the worst way. Somebody to come in and make some very tough decisions. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what's interesting now is that the Penguins are owned by Fenway Sports Group, mm-hmm. uh, which owns several other major um, franchises, including baseball's Boston Red Sox. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, uh, they want somebody that could be in kind of a senior hockey role, like an executive VP mm-hmm. and a GM. Yeah. And, I, you know, somebody asked me on Twitter, isn't that kind of what they already had with Brian Burke? And, yeah, Brian Burke's a hockey guy for mm-hmm. sure, but he's also very good at taking things off the plate of the GM, meeting yeah. with the business leaders, uh, you know, locally, things like that, doing press. And we know Ron Hextall, not a big press guy. Um, so... I think what they're looking for is, you know, the Montreal model, where you have a Jeff Gordon and a Kent Hughes. Mm-hmm. You know, Kent Hughes, first-time GM coming from the world of uh, mm-hmm. representation and yeah. agency. Jeff Gordon, obviously, with... Uh, seasoned hockey man. Seasoned hockey yeah. man with a great track record uh, based on what he did in Boston and in uh, New York. So I think that might be something that we would look at for Pittsburgh. And uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit okay, here. Okay, okay. Uh, because one of the other major stories was Brad Treliving mm-hmm. uh, mutually parting with the Calgary Flames. Now, I tweeted out, uh, you know, Pittsburgh should be calling Brad Treliving immediately. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I think of is, does he go in as the GM or does he go in as the senior hockey guy? He could certainly fill either role because he has a ton of experience and he's somebody we know can make tough decisions. Yes, 
as we've said numerous times, you know, he had a summer where his two best players in Calgary said they didn't want to be there anymore or they were not coming back, and he had to do what he could to keep the Flames afloat. Mm-hmm. If it had not been for Jacob Markstrom falling off a cliff yeah. in net in the, uh, and Daryl Sutter potentially get into that. losing the yeah. room, uh, Calgary's a playoff team for sure. Mm. So you put Bradger Living in Pittsburgh and you let him do his thing. Let him cook, if you will. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think the turnaround, you know, you almost don't want it to be too fast because you want to be set up for success in the future, but at least he would come in with a battle plan that I think would work. Mm-hmm. So I, I do, I think, I, look, we, we are going to, thank you for, for stepping mightily on the Brad Tree Living yes. uh, news because we are definitely, uh, that is one of the main, you know, we've talked about Calgary all season long. They've been such a f- weirdly fascinating team, right? So yeah. we're going to get into that in a sec. But the biggest rumor, and, and I checked around, you know, in my limited sources on this, and, you know, when I tweeted out, it was, uh, uh, it then gained a bit of traction in that, you know, like Fenway, I know the Fenway Sports Group is like, they're, they're ready to put the full court press on Kyle Davis, if you mm-hmm. lose. Like that is, I think, you know, other than him and Eric Tulski, I would say, and Eric Tulski in Carolina, who is like well-known around the league is like as probably the most respected um, non-GM front office member the in the league. God. Like he is the guy who people look at. And yes, Don Waddell does incredible things, but like Eric, he's almost, Eric Tulski is like, it, the perception of him is if you see Moneyball, in that first scene where like Mark Shapiro and Billy Bean are talking, he's the guy in like the corner of the room that Shapiro will look to if, if when, uh, when a guy brings up a player and he either nods his head or shakes it, or right. whether or not you can let that guy go. Right. Um, if Brad, I think the only way that Dubas will, will, would leave because, um, to join Pittsburgh is if he takes that top job, if he gets that, that president mm. of hockey operations and gets sort of like carte blanche along that, which means that, and I think that Brad Tree Living would be suited for that role too, just because he's been there for so long and he's mm. done all this stuff. So if Tree Living is, is going there, I don't think he's being accompanied by Dewey's because that's what he'll do that, that too many cooks. Yeah, exactly. Too many cooks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Ron, like I was, you, you can't pay attention to every market in the NHL. Like, there's just so many, and, and, you know, we're here in Toronto, so that's obviously the thing that has the biggest sort of, like, momentum here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize just how sort of, like, vitriolic the Pittsburgh market got towards, I would say, the last two years of Ron Hextall's tenure. Ooh, it was bad. Uh, like, like I, I knew that they, you know, that, that the temperature wasn't great, but then I'm looking at, like, the post-mortem columns that are being written. Mm. Specifically, I remember, like, Josh, uh, I believe it was Josh yeah, Yo's yeah, yeah. In, in The Athletic, who just was like, who just, he was like, he, I believe the title was, like, Ron Hextall destroyed the Penguins. Or, like, Ron Hextall ruined them. And I'm like, whoa, and then I look at it, and I go, he's right. Like, like every other team, Pittsburgh, and keep in mind, this is a season, like, like we should, they are getting the brunt, like, Pittsburgh, no one's pulling any punches, and mm. they absolutely shouldn't, because... Not only do they have that core three, they have Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. All three are still either near or at like the height of their powers. Like Crosby just casually was like almost 100 points this year. Totally. Uh, Malkin did the same thing basically. He was a money in the bank point per game guy, and Chris Latang was still one of the most productive defensemen in the NHL. Um, and another thing that never happens with those three is they all basically played almost 82 games this year, yeah. and they still miss the playoffs yeah. in a division that like. Yeah, it was pretty competitive, but it wasn't like it. It wasn't like the Atlantic. It wasn't. And the wild card was certainly in play. The wild, like they could yeah. have crossed over. And the wild card, like you are, you know, you you should have made that wild card spot at the very least. Yeah. Like you are, and and we talked about this. I believe it was last week when they got eliminated. In the sense that, like, 
what, what was their downfall is they didn't take any big swings. They, they, there was that reported trade at the deadline of, I believe it was like two firsts for JT Miller, which right. would have been a disaster, number one, I think. Like, just insane. Like, like Vancouver, if I was Vancouver, that would, like, if I was Patrick Alvin or, 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 you know, whoever is in that front office, Jim Rutherford, who's on a beach in Florida right now, um, like, I would, I would, that would keep me up at night, the fact that, that trade didn't go through. Because right. not, you are getting out of a deal that, like, is a disaster right away and getting two first-round picks for it. That's amazing. But instead of doing that deal, they waffled on that. And instead, they, they did this, like, half midway, half sort of, half pregnant deal to get Michael Granlin for a second-round pick. And he just completely failed to mesh with that roster. And it's just, it seems like it's, a, it's tho- that, those types of moves after those types of moves, you know? Right. It was, let's not, like, swing for the fence. Let's get... And, like, no, obviously no disrespect, but, like, let's get, like, Jan Ruda, you know? Let's not go and get, like, a stud defenseman to put mm. next to Crystal Tang. Let's get, like, Jan Ruda and, like, you know, and, and we'll, let, we'll let John Marino go, you know? Just stuff yeah. like that. That was the real tough one is oh, yeah. seeing Marino flourish in New Jersey and become one of their best defensemen overnight. It's just, like, well, one of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah. Like, it's... It, it was a disaster, and, uh, yeah, it, it, I'm really... this Because this is an extremely intriguing opening because you are inheriting basically like arguably the most win now situation in the league mm-hmm. and you still have three money in the bank hall of famers board like the first two generational talents i would say Latang is still an incredible player i wouldn't say he's yeah. generational but he's still up there yeah. and they're still pretty much like you have like maybe one or two more years and we say we doubt them at we you know we age them at, at our own will here. Yeah. yeah. But you st- or at our own peril here. Yeah. But uh, you still have them for like maybe two more years where they're like they're producing at this rate. Yeah, like, that's fair. If you if you want it, it, this could almost be like a video game sort of and be a GM scenario where mm-hmm. you rebuild around these guys. It'll be it'll be interesting. Um, as Ryan uh, lovely spoiled uh, here we have Brad Living who mutually parted ways mm-hmm. um, in in Calgary. What, uh, you know, bringing to an end probably the most, one of the most chaotic calendar years of GMing we've seen in, in, in modern history. What do you think of this? Well, my big takeaway is, uh, and just, you know, sort of reading up on some of the local um, reports is, it seems like there was a fissure between uh, Daryl Sutter and Brad Treliving. Wow, and couldn't have seen that coming. Yeah, but you know what's funny? It's like... It never occurred to me that you know Sutter had the contract extension, Living didn't sign one. Uh, clearly, it's sort of a wait and see thing for him. But it's like, man, if you're Calgary, did you really choose Daryl Sutter over Brad Treliving? Like a guy like Brad Treliving managed to get you, um, you know, Mackenzie Weger, Jonathan Huberto, and Nazem Kadri. Uh, when basically you knew you weren't getting Johnny Gaudreau back, and you were going to lose Matthew Kachuk. So he got you three very good players for two very good players. Um, and, you know, Daryl Sutter, uh, again, Stanley Cup winning coach. Won the Jack Adams last year. We won the Jack about. Adams yeah, last like, year. We say that every time because yeah. it's true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's also the kiss of death. Yes. So, you know, I mean, coaches do have a shelf life. Unless you're like John Cooper, mm-hmm. who has just consistently performed behind the bench. And, we, and we, we don't even talk about that. Cooper looked like he was on the outs for a little bit there. Like, there were rumors that he had lost the room. You know, like, every coach has a shelf life. He just, sure. he just managed to dodge it, like, Matrix style. Exactly. You know? Yeah, so it's like, 
how long do you think Daryl Sutter is going to be your coach? Is it longer? Like, I mean, a GM can do the job for like a decade if they're, you know. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Paul Fenton. That's about it. Like, that's the, only, right, that's, the only, that's the only example I can think of where a GM comes in and they're like one or two years and they're done. Right, yeah. Because so the GM lays the foundation of the exactly. entire organization. Exactly, so you would take a coach over a master plan that, again, if it wasn't for Markstrom mm-hmm. having just a horrible season, the Flames are a playoff team and we're probably not even talking about this. Um, so to me, that's very strange because true living to me is just such an asset for any organization. And again, you know, like if for Pittsburgh, it just seems like a great fit where here's a guy that's not afraid to go big. You know what? You know how it makes even less sense is within that same organization, within the same city, within the same building, you have a coach who just won the AHL coach of the year for the second year in a row. Mitch Love. And that coach also oversees and, and you know, is for his only two professional seasons, um, oversees the guy that your GM drafted in the seventh round, who has now flourished into one of the hottest goaltending prospects in the entire league. That you didn't call up, and we, this is speculate. Well, yes, until then this is speculation because the reports were that the coach, you know, like didn't didn't have faith in using a younger guy. Uh And so I go like, you, you chose, you chose a coach that has that has his replacement literally down the hall from him. Yeah. And uh, uh, over a GM that took one of the most just cataclysmic situations you can get um, as as a GM. You 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 build a team that wins your division, and then you lose in heartbreaking fashion in the second round to your your most heated rival, your province rival. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then right after that, your two the two players that you drafted developed, raised from children into men, literally, um, say, we don't want to play here anymore. One of them leaves without getting any compensation whatsoever. And then you have another one who who wants out as well. And you somehow turn that into the guy who set the the assist record, single season assist record for a left winger and a legitimate first pairing defenseman um, on a good contract. Uh, You turn him into that and a first rounder and Cole Schwint. I don't know anything about Cole Schwint, but... He could be a bottom six. He could be something. Yeah. And a first rounder in a draft that people are saying is one of the deepest in, in recent memory. And then on top of that, before they've even played a game, you get them to, to sign maximum term contract extensions that lock them in to Calgary through the remainder of their prime. Yeah. Therein, negating the narrative that, it'd be, that, that was starting to rise up and potentially plaguing the organization that players don't want to play in Calgary. Mm. The two superstars you get in a trade, in the trade for the guy who very clearly said, I don't want to play in Calgary, committed the rest of their prime to Calgary. Yeah. And on top of that, a couple, a couple months later, you then signed the biggest free agent on the market. And, and then you, you, know, like you, you add all these pieces in. And literally what happens is your goaltender, who was nominated for the Vesna a couple months ago, um, falls off a cliff and your coach just, I don't, like, I don't know what happens, but he just loses the plot completely. Yeah. And the agents of these players are speaking out, the players themselves are speaking out against him, and instead you choose that coach over the guy who built this team, who convinced these guys to sign here. Keep in mind, the three, like arguably, Calgary's three best players or three most important players next year are going to be Nazem Kadri, Jonathan Huberdeau, and Mackenzie Wieger. Mm-hmm. And this, that GM that you just let walk out the door 
is responsible for them being in that organization. Yep. If I if I was those three dudes right now, I would be extremely worried at least. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's just it seems you ever seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? Yes. Yeah, it seems like the wrong kid dad, you know? <laughs> Is it, it seems like they chose the wrong guy, but who knows? Um, all right, another guy who mutually parted ways is uh, Peter Laviolette. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the, the Washington Capitals have failed to make the playoffs for the first time since 2013 mm-hmm. Um, You know, you have Ovechkin. Obviously, they had to deal with an absurd amount of injuries this yes. year, and they're a very old team, but, you know, Laviolette just didn't seem to be getting, getting as much as you could out of this team anymore. Mm-hmm. They parted ways. So, Washington now. Very interesting coaching vacancy that has really sort of become a turnstile, almost a turnstile, mm. uh, since Barry Trot stepped away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Capitals kind of interesting, and it's funny because a few years ago, I remember uh, I was at an AHL game as Hershey in Toronto. Spencer mm. Carberry, who is yes, now, who is with now Toronto, yeah. uh, was Hershey's coach, and just looking at what he was able to do with that roster, I was like, man, you know, this guy's young, but uh, you know, at the time, I think Barry Trotz was coaching Washington, yep. and it's like, okay, well, they don't need a coach yet, but he seems like he's getting maybe yeah. this guy's the next in line. Uh, obviously, it Todd was, Reardon came in there, right? Todd yeah. Reardon, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it, it felt like, yeah, it would it would take some time, but this is, this guy's a good young line. Mm-hmm. This is totally just me okay. putting you know two things so together. So absolutely, but full factual statement here coming up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wonder if Washington doesn't circle back I to Spencer Carberry and say, you know what, uh, you know, you have a history with the organization. You probably know some of the current players um, who were with Hershey at the time. Mm-hmm. I, they weren't a super deep group, but still. Um, I, wa- I wonder if they circle back there and just sort of see if, if, uh, if that's a fit there. Now, the other interesting thing is, what is the future of this Capitals mm-hmm. team? Because as you mentioned, they are a, a quite old, especially quite when it comes up. to their, yeah, especially when it comes to their core. Mm-hmm. So do they try to run it back with some tweaks? Because you do still have Alex Ovechkin who mm-hmm. can give you 50 goals a year when he's on top of things and healthy. Or do you take a step back and say, we need to replenish a little bit? I, it's going to be tough, man. But, but I believe, was it, was it Carberry or Chenoweth who was a, fin- a finalist for, I believe it was Carberry, who was a finalist for the Sharks um, open job during the summer? So Possibly, he's, so I'm not sure. I'm, I'm almost certain, and we'll get our producer to look this up, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, but, but he, I believe it was Carberry who was, who was uh, in the finale there. So at least he's... He's being looked at for other jobs. It mm. wouldn't surprise me. And I remember when the Capitals came in here, um, all of the Capitals re- reporters, they all asked Sheldon Keefe, you know, what has Spencer Carberry done for this team? You know, like he's very well respected. Yeah. So very interesting to see that. Um, another one, and, and Ryan, I would, I, very rarely am I correct, especially right. when, we are, when we're talking. Right, right. Um, this is one of those opportunities where I was correct. You certainly were. Um, so I would like the banner to unfold behind us to say yes. I'm right, the, the, the sparklers to go up and everything. Yeah. But Brad Larson, yeah. Uh, coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets was let go. I had him in my early, uh, in, you know, after the first month of the season, I had him, I believe, number one in my uh, either him or Dallas Eakins, in uh, who, you know, spoiler alert, it's coming I was up next. Say, you were right I was two, I was two for two. You were two for two. Um, you know, like uh, it's, let, let me have this one. It's totally. I have I have so little in life. Yes. Um, but it, uh, but yes. It, so he was let go, um, and it seems as much as they did have injury problems, it, I can't argue with this uh, decision. 
Yeah, that's fair. And it's too bad because, you know, Brad Larson, uh, I guess it was two years behind the bench. Um, it's kind of interesting. Like, I, I kind of look at these things in, like, a cynical sort of way where, like, technically Brad Larson, you know, once the injuries started yes. piling up, technically he delivered Columbus exactly what they needed, which was... A tank. A tank. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, if the Jackets get Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli uh, this summer... Uh, or even Leo Carlson for that matter, then they're going to be in a fantastic position because we know that they have some great players already in their prime. They mm -hmm. have Zach Wierenski, they have Johnny Gaudreau, they have Patrick Laine. Like, they've got tools. Yes. They've got some young guys in Kent Johnson, Kirill Marchenko. They um, do. So, you know, they're not dead in the water. I think, I almost feel like he was a bit of a sacrificial lamb where it's like now you can go to somebody new and you have pretty much... A wide open canvas because yeah. you know it's it's not a, a win now group per se. Um, you could bring in more of a teacher if you wanted to, or you could bring in a veteran. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, maybe we're doing musical chairs here. Peter Laviolette, for example, I was going to suggest him in Anaheim, uh, well, but maybe he's fit. a good fit in Columbus. I mean, this is a guy that gets results quickly. Yes, right. Peter Laviolette, known to be a turnaround artist. So maybe he's the guy that Columbus needs right now where, you know, you have veterans uh, that obviously want to be back in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Your roster, when healthy, is pretty decent and, you know, will probably get better next year just by virtue of some of those younger players stepping up. And again, depending on how the draft lottery goes. Um, but you don't get there if it wasn't for Brad Larson. Yeah, you know, you're right. You bring up a really good point because I feel, I almost feel bad for him because... He was, and this is like this is not sort of a compliment to his his standing as a hockey executive now. Mm. But he's he was almost like the Dale Talon of that of that uh, Chicago Blackhawks team, and that like he was the one who oversaw all the pain. Right, Jeff Blashill in Detroit's the Jeff other one. Jeff Blashill, yeah. I always think of where it's like you can be our coach when we are back. Exactly, like yeah. he like all of the pain, all yeah. of the all the growing pains, all of the hard lessons, and the yeah. you know, and and just like the dog day, you know, March. We know we're, we're like twenty points out of the playoff picture. Yeah. You know, but we still got to get up for this game and, and still make sure that these rookies know that like every game matters and stuff. Yep. That was placed on him. And now a new like veteran coach can come in now that all the young players are here. He's going to get yep. he's going to get Boquist and, and Wierenski and, you know, like pretty much the entire roster yep. back and be like, all right, guys, like uh, let's let's have some success. Let's, let's have some go fun for out a, there. Let's go for a wild card exactly. spot next year. Um, I, Exactly. And speaking of teams who I think we're going for wild card spots this year, yep. um, Ryan and I, shockingly, the thing that has divided us the most um, is uh, whether or not the Anaheim Ducks wanted to be good this year or not. Yes. I believe they did. Ryan believes they, they didn't. But at the end of the day, Dallas Eakins, uh, no longer the coach. This yeah. seemed like, I feel like Dallas Eakins had been on the hot seat like since before COVID. Like, I feel like, right. he, had, I feel like he had been on the hot seat for as long as I can possibly remember, mm -hmm. and this is just like finally the straw. Yeah, I mean, so interesting in Anaheim, and you know, it, it being a smaller market, it doesn't get as much scrutiny yeah. as other places, uh, so it is sort of hard to discern. And you know, and, and also, you know, Pat Verbeek taking over mm -hmm. as a GM, uh, he's a he's sort of one of those new school uh, GMs that doesn't let a lot leak out. Yes. You know, he doesn't say a lot, sort of in that Steve Eiserman mold as Blue well. Blue Amarillo kind of. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, it, you know, it, it's hard to sort of get that insider information on, you know, what the Ducks were thinking. 
But again, you know, I mean, if they get Connor Bedard, then all of a sudden you've got Trevor Zegers and Mason uh, McTavish and Jamie Drysdale, who missed most of this year yeah, due to still, injury. Yeah. Like, you still have John Gibson in net. Um, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you get a veteran or two in free agency that help out. And in that Pacific division, maybe the Ducks are a wild card team next year with the right coach and obviously some luck. The Ducks have, I believe, at least rated by by us, by the Athletic and all that. Like they have the best, they have the best prospect pool out there, right? Like don't. Well, no, they, I'd have to look into the future watch yes. things, but they are certainly, if not one, they are I'm very. I'm pretty sure they're either one or two in future yeah. watch this year. Like yeah. they have, they're just like, they're it's overflowing. It's overflowing, yeah. and so now you have a coach that's going to come in. You ought who is going to be, you know, overseeing potentially, like, just a, a huge blue-chip crop of talent. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, a mix of some veterans in there. Like, you know, like I said, they, they still, we didn't even mention Troy Terry. True. Who was their all-star this year. Yeah. You know, like, we're not mentioning any of these guys, and yet they're coming in here and, and putting up great... Like, Anaheim is... The only reason I don't... I wouldn't want Anaheim to get Connor Bedard just because every game of theirs starts at, like, 10.30 at night, right. Eastern time. And I think that would be bad for the league just because you're getting shield. Everyone's gone to bed by then. Right. But, like, man, that would be... That would instantly turn Anaheim from, like, this plucky young team to, like, a potential, like, like you know, volcano ready to erupt. Yeah, because if you have Bedard and Zegris as your as your, your big weapons, the backfill is much easier where it's like if you want to find some veterans yeah. that can like you know play physical for you back those guys up that's a lot easier to find than generational danglers uh, yeah. yeah and then even on your on their blue line like cam fowler's still there and he played totally. he played 40 minutes in a game like <laughs> you know towards the end of the year and you have uh, jamie drysdale who like injuries have taken so much yeah. away from us watching but he is like one of the most hyped and and you know, he's got the most potential of any, you know, defenseman prospect out there. Mm. They have, um, is it Del Mastro or is it uh, who? No, he's Chicago, but they have Olin Zellweger. Sorry, Olin Zellweger. Yeah. I always get those two mixed up. But they have Zellweger, who was, like, far and away, I would say far and away the best defenseman at the at the World Juniors that mm. you and I saw in person. Like, they, they have a lot of really, really exciting. They just yeah. signed Henry Thrun. Um, yeah. You know, like, just exciting, exciting players. I think this oh, is. Oh, no, he went to San Jose. Oh, sorry, he went to San Jose. They yeah. traded for him. Um, it was Nestorenko that they, right. that they got, right? But, like, and he looked. Very good in his first little bit. This is one of the most exciting, um, I would say, like, in terms of, of if you want to be a coach, like, you don't have to face a crazy media scrutiny every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have an en- one of the most, if not the most enviable group, of, like, young core coming up for, yeah. you, for you to oversee, like, Anna- and you get to live in California. I was going to say, anywhere shorts to the right. Exactly. Like, Anaheim yeah. seems like probably the most attractive, just from a job perspective. For sure. The most attractive opening. Yeah. You know what I'm Yeah. Amazing. All right. Those are losers, though. We're going to talk about <laughs> we're talking about winners, um, and so this is uh, you know the playoffs. They've already kicked off. We already have yes. uh, the first night of game. Uh, you know, it's just the way the schedule goes. But um, let's uh, let's do our previews. Let's do our picks. Let's start with um, the start with uh, the the New York Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. I think we should start with. Um, you know, they played last night. Carolina one two one. They lead the series one nothing. Who you got, Ryan? I got Carolina, and I'm not. You have to say cheating. games. In games, you yeah. know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say six because the mm. Islanders are always a tough out. Yeah. And they're gonna keep games close. You know, last night really came down to special teams. Yes. Um, overarching Carolina, uh, one of the best possession teams in the mm. NHL this year. Islanders, as has been typical in this era, 
Um, not very good possession wise. Mm -hmm. So a bit of a mismatch there. However, the Islanders have Ilya Sorokin in net, who can paper over a lot of that mm -hmm. and has. Um, I, I think Carolina, you know, as long as they, they get the goaltending, and they did for Monty Ranta last night, you know, they have more offensive weapons. They have, uh, you know, Brent Burns was obviously huge for them in game one from the blue line. Uh, you know, Carolina should win this, but it's not going to be a fun, easy series for them. Um, you know, because the Islanders, they do have some weapons and they do have that great structure. So I'm going to say Carolina in six, you know, and then like total goals in the series is going to be like 20. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I can go as deep as total goals. I'm not that smart and not that... I'm not going to do that for every series. Okay. I just want to illustrate. Okay, good, good. I was worried about the precedent you were setting yes, there. And I'm like, know, I don't know. Yeah. I was told there would be no math. But yes. um, yeah, no, I, Ilya Sorokin is the X factor here. Yeah. He is like we every year, or not every year, but some years, and we've seen very high profile examples of it, a goalie will come in and basically just lead their team way farther than, than they would ever expect to go. The most yeah. prominent example was Yaroslav Halak, totally. um, knocking off a Capitals team that I think if they had gotten past that Montreal team would have won the Stanley Cup. But there you know, and look, the Islanders, they, um, this is, you, you look at this on paper and you go like, okay, this seems, this vibes wise, this seems like a bit of a mismatch. Like Carolina is Carolina. They're such a structured team, you know, mm. but they're missing Andre Svechnikov. And even though they only got like five games of them, they're missing Max Pacioretty. You know, yeah. like this is this is a team that doesn't have two sort of like high impact punches they were expecting to have. Mm. Um, and then goaltending is the X factor here because look, we forget that Antti Ranta is very good when he's healthy. Very like true. he's always been very good when he's when he's able to get on the ice. The only problem is that he hasn't been able to get on the ice. And yeah. this happened last year in that like he got injured at a critical time once again. And I, you know, I, I start to wonder like. Every, I was watching this game last night, literally every time he made like a difficult save, I was like cringing. Like every time I was like, oh no, is his groin gonna explode again? Right. And we're like, and that, that's it, that's the series right there. So yeah. uh, no disrespect to Frederick Anderson or Pure Ocheka, um, yeah. Kochekov. Um, but like, I'd say Ronta is probably the best goalie out of those three right now. Um, I like Kochekov a lot as well, even though he's- I say uh, right now. Experience. Right now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, goaltending is gonna be the X factor and Sorokin did everything he could last night. I still think there's another level he can go to. And I think once it gets back to UBS Arena, mm -hmm. like, I think it'll be... I think the, the Hurricanes missing those two players will be in tough uh, to beat this guy. That being said, though, I, I think it'll be... I think it'll be Hurricanes, but I think it's going seven. I, I honestly... And I would not have said that um, maybe, like, two, three weeks ago when they had Svechnikov, but mm. now that they don't, man, it's tough. Um, all right, Panthers and Bruins. Yeah, so... Initially, you know, it was wild because mm -hmm. all the reports about no, the, the flu wilds, bug. the wilds later. Yeah, the wilds yeah. later. Uh, the flu bug going around oh. in Boston, and it, you know, I was sort of saying to myself like, how wild would it be if the only thing that could beat the Bruins this year was a stomach bug? Mm -hmm. uh, was a force that, of nature? A force of nature. Yeah. yeah, like what is the Corsi on pneumonia? A, a biological hazard is yeah, the only yeah. thing that could stop them. Yeah, the only thing that could stop mm -hmm. them is like not washing their hands yeah. properly. Uh, but they came out and they beat the Panthers in a mm -hmm. game that Florida, for the most part, played very well. Yes, in. way better than we thought they would. They took a couple of bad penalties early, mm -hmm. and that essentially capsized them. And then Alex Lyon gave up the one bad goal uh, to Brad Marchand that he just mishandled it with his glove. That was yeah. tough. Um, you know, I mean, Matthew Kachuk was exactly what you would expect of him. He was great. He was far and away their best player. Uh, far and yeah. away. I thought Aaron Ekblad really struggled. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought Mark Stahl, 
was their best defenseman. Which is wild. Yeah, and I, and actually Eric Stahl played pretty well, you know, in his mm-hmm. role as well. That's um, good. Looking down from the heavens, they're really right. proud of them. But I feel like because Florida did not win that game, I think it's going to be either F- Bruins in four mm-hmm. or Bruins in five. I felt that was the Panthers' best crack at it because the Bruins are, I, like, unless the stomach bug gets worse. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's, if, you know, like, Patrice Bergeron didn't even play in the game. I was just going to, like, they did. They did it without their captain, one of the best players of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly one of the smartest players of all time. So what happens when he comes back? All of a sudden, you're even deeper than you are. Um, so I, I think this was the this was Florida's chance to like sow some doubt mm. and steal a game. Uh, you know, Alex Lyon played very well, oh, yeah. other than that one goal. But I think I don't know. Like I don't feel like people were giving Linus Ulmer credit for making a lot of really good saves. And maybe it's because... While he was dealing with the flu bug, because he didn't skate yeah, before the game. Like, yeah, and yeah. you know, maybe it's because they weren't spectacular saves. Maybe it's just because his positioning is so mm. good. Um, they didn't look as impressive, but I just can't see the Panthers putting too many pucks past Ulmark. And that's obviously going to be a problem because the Bruins were all deep. I think it's a, you know, it, it really is like a damning diamond of society that we, you know, we, we talk about superficial... Uh, saves opposed to what really counts, which is the wins um, and what is inside. Yeah, look, the one thing I will say is that um, there was a, a sequence in the game where uh, Tyler Bertuzzi grabbed, like, literally stole the stick of a player right. and skated onto bench and then broke it. And I think, you know, like, look, you get away with whatever you can in the playoffs, and that's sure. great. One thing I will say is that if Michael Bundy did that, the ref would have pulled out a gun and shot him <laughs> on the ice. So I think that that is uh, pretty ludicrous. Um, but look, man, the Bruins... They are what what makes them special is they know exactly where the line is, and yes. they and they they go right up. Sometimes they go over it, but they they are so good at just riding that line. By far the smartest team in the NHL. Exactly, it's smart in terms of like making the refs look like bozos. And look, any team that does that, I'm a big fan of. But like, do but they they are so and this is this is what can sway a series in the yep. NHL is being able to ride the line or at least play the politics of the game as much as it sucks that there has to be. The mm-hmm. politics of the refs and, and player interaction. And this is a guy who came over the trade deadline, and he has fit in perfectly for them. And him being able to pull off a, you know, a little, little stinker move like that, right. I think is just like that just goes to show that the, this Bruins team is, uh, is different. If they were able to overcome, like imagine any other team gearing up for game, for, for game one of the playoffs. You just set the NHL wins record, the best regular season literally ever in the history of the league. In game one, a flu bug ravages your team. It takes your captain and pretty much, other than Pasternak, best player out. Yeah. That might have, that most, a bunch of other teams on, on the list of, of, of teams here would crumble in that scenario. Yeah. The Bruins came out, they handled business. They certainly did. What a, what a team. All right. Minnesota Wild, Dallas Stars. Yeah, so this is a very interesting one because, I mean, they're not... They're not too different. I mean, they're pretty evenly matched. This is the most evenly matched series, I think. Yeah, and so Minnesota prevails in double overtime. Which is uh, as close as it can get, really. Yeah, yeah, they almost needed two games to Mm -hmm. solve one game. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, really it comes down to who uh, capitalizes on mistakes, uh, Mm -hmm. who gets that depth. You know, you look at it and... Dallas probably has more weapons, you know, led by Jason Robertson, yeah. obviously. Um, but Minnesota's got Kaprizov and Matthew Boldy. And I think the X factor at this point is obviously controversial hit by Matt Dumba on Joe Pavelski. Yes. Uh, 
Pavelski looked like he banged his head on the ice afterwards. So, you know, you hope for a quick recovery from that. You hope there wasn't any, um, you He know, will likely miss game two, is what it said, and that is a huge piece you're taking And that is there. huge, because yeah. Joe Pavelski uh, just ages different. Oh, yeah. And he, he gets is, better as time goes on. And I hate this term, but, like, he plays playoff hockey. He like, totally does. So much of playoff hockey is that net front battle. Yeah, because he's never all. been a fast guy. Yeah. But, again, he's super smart, and uh, he's got that wicked release. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if he's out, that's a tough break for Dallas. I think this is going to be a slog of a series. I think it's going to go seven. Mm-hmm. And, you know what, I'm still going to go Dallas, but... Uh, this is the one I'm like the most yeah. unsure of. This one's tough. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. This is the most evenly matched series. This is, I think it, it comes down to goaltending. Yeah. I think, I think yep. Dallas has Jake Otten here, who is the only, the single and only reason Dallas pushed Calgary to seven last year. Totally. What he did in that series was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, and so, as, and Phil Gustafson, one of the most underrated seasons in the entire league. Like, we're talking, this guy finished with like, well over a 920 save percentage in a very good sample size of games. He stole the starting job from a Hall of Famer and Marc-Andre Fleury, yeah. who's still a lot in the tank, and no one's talking about it. But I think at the end of the day, like Jake Ottinger in a playoff series, after mm. what he did last year, you know, after his, the season that he had, I'm not betting against him. So I think I'm going to take, uh, take stars in seven, but I do think this is going to be the most, like, I think, I think whatever... I think the Stars are going to win, but man, there's, they've already had a chunk taken out of them. Right. I do think they are going to have a bigger chunk taken out of them. Yeah, it's going to be a war, it especially is, from now on. Oh, yeah. Oh, and these war. two teams hate each other now. Yes. And keep in mind, like, the team that committed the infraction, like the team that, that committed the malice that threw yeah. the first punch doesn't have Max Domi on their team. Exactly. He is on the other side. Yeah. So that is uh, it's going to be interesting. Yes. Um, all right, talking about maybe one of the biggest choke jobs we've seen in the NHL uh, playoffs, at least for the opening in an opening game in recent years, mm. it's the uh, LA Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. Um, heading into this, we previewed it on the Staff Grab podcast. I had the Oilers taking this probably in six or so. Um, you know, Connor McDavid is as close as a, to a cheat code as we have in our mm. real life, in real like three D, four D, whatever you want to call it, life. Yeah. Um, and yet, here the Kings are. They, they, they overcome a two-goal deficit. They tie it. They tie the game with 16.7 seconds left. And uh, they take game one on the road. On the road. Yeah. Okay, so to me, this is such an interesting series because, and I think we've probably alluded to this in the past, um, you have such a, a difference in how these teams win. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Edmonton, the tremendous firepower with McDavid, Dreisaitl, and let's toss in Ryan Nugent Hopkins as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, let's toss in a 100-point player. Exactly. Why not? Let's do it. Just for Whereas fun. you have the Kings, who are experienced, veteran. They can shut you down. Not only do they have Andre Kopitar, who is sulky-worthy, mm-hmm. but they have Philippe Deneau now as well, uh, who is an incredible shutdown center. And then you also return Drew Doughty, who did not play in the series yes. last year, on defense. And you upgraded in goal. And you upgraded in goal. Yeah. Uh, and Unis Corbisalo. So to me, the exciting thing about this first game was, okay, well, who wins out? Mm-hmm. Is it offense or is it defense? And granted, the Kings scored four goals, yes. ultimately one in overtime. Which is more than the Oilers scored. Which is more than the Oilers yes. scored, which is the key uh, factor they, they in say that sporting events. Most, te- most teams that score more goals than the other team, they end up winning. They tend to. That's what yes. they say. Exactly. So I'm, now I'm, I had belief in the Kings before, because, again, like, there was a path. If you can shut down McDavid, then you give yourselves a very good chance to win. They shut down McDavid in game one. They won the special teams battle. They only had, the Oilers only had three power plays. Scored on one. 
Obviously, their power play has been on fire all season long. Yeah. But the Kings had two power play goals and six opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I'll take this time. Cam Sharon had a fantastic he did, yes. graph. Uh, when looking at penalties called in the playoffs, and what he found in his data is that refs call a lot of penalties at the beginning of series, and then it takes a nosedive as you get into elimination games. Mm -hmm. So if you're the Kings, and this, I would say this goes with the Bruins as well, you you kind of you can play your style, and if you don't get burned early on, you know you're probably going to benefit Smooth as things skating. go on. Yeah. So I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Kings in seven because I yeah. think that they can if they play smart enough early on. You know they've already banked one game, mm -hmm. so if they can continue, you're, you're not going to stop McDavid. You can only hope to contain him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much like Shaq. Unless you're serving him with a summons for a crypto uh, lawsuit. Um, but if you can at least hold McDavid and Dreisaitl in check, and you have guys to do it on multiple lines, uh, then you give yourself a very good chance to win. And that's what they did in game one. And I, I'm going to say Kings in seven, with the wow. benefit of already knowing that they lead one nothing. I was not expecting Shaq to catch a stray there, but all right, cool. Um, one, one thing I will say with Shaq is that I've seen him uh, be the spokesperson for Printer Inc. That's a great um, before, so uh, I think he just kind of endorses everything. Why not? And uh, yeah, but no, like this is the this is one of two series that, uh, in the first round that are repeats, yeah. and I think with this one specifically, both teams are markedly better, yeah. so much better than they were in in the years since they they last played each other, like like. Not only is LA getting back Drew Doughty, they upgraded in goal with Jonas Korpisalo. They added uh, Gavrikov, you know, uh, to that back end for good, like you know, for good playoff stuff. And honestly, if you look at his underlying numbers throughout the rest of the regular season, it's almost like you take a guy from a bad team, put him on a good team, and he starts playing way better. Right. It's crazy to think of. Wow. Also, the uh, uh, the Kings got Kevin Fiala. Yeah, and uh, you know to be a point per game player that we just are not talking about. Yeah. And on the other side, the Edmonton Oilers, you know, they they saw the emergence of you know Ryan Nugent Hopkins into a hundred point player, Zach Hyman into almost a hundred point player. Um, you know, all these all these different sort Matthias of. Matthias Ekholm gets. And I was gonna Ryan. say, and then they bring in Matthias Ekholm, who is like the, in in my opinion at least, the piece that's holding the Jenga tower together. Like yeah. he is, he just changes so much for that team. Yeah. And honestly, I would take Stuart Skinner over Mike Smith. Like I think they upgraded in, in, in goal too. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I, I think probably, yes, they won the game, but other than winning the game, I think the biggest mandate for the Kings heading into this game was contain Connor McDavid. Yeah. He, he was held pointless last night. Exactly. On his own ice in game one. This is a, this is a game that I believe in the first game of, of the playoffs last year, he got a hat trick. I'm pretty sure. If not, he had a monstrous game. Mm. This is one of those games of Connor McDavid, like he, he, he steps onto this giant stage and he explodes. They completely shut him down. Yeah. So, I mean... It, they can, I, th I think doing that is a huge step. I'm going to say Kings in seven as well. Yeah. Um, all right. New York Rangers and New York Devils, or New York Devils, New York Rangers and New Jersey Devils, as I made this, this uh, comparison on, um, on Staff and Grab yesterday, this is, in my, in my opinion, the fan base of the Sopranos versus Succession. Nice. How this is how I view both of their fan bases. I view, right. I view <laughs> New Jersey Devils fans as the, as the Sopranos crew, and I right. view New York, New York Rangers fans as the hoity-toity succession right. fans. Um, this is the second most evenly matched series, in my opinion. Yeah. And this is an interesting one. The Rangers uh, were much better. Sorry, I shouldn't say much better, but uh, they played the Devils very well in the regular season. Yes. Um, so that was tough. And they got to Vitek Vanacek enough where you say, okay, 
Um, you know, that's going to be something that the devil's going to have to be aware of. Uh, and again, interesting clash of styles. The devil's very good possession yep. team. Rangers, out of playoff teams, one of the worst. Yes. But the Rangers have Igor Shosturkin in net, who tends to be one of the best goaltenders on the planet. Mm. So that kind of evens things out. Um, what I'm intrigued by is how fast is this series? If it's very fast, that benefits the devil. 100%. Um, now, playoff hockey tends not to be yeah. as fast. It tends to get a little bogged down. It's, you know, it's a little more physical out there. Um, not saying that the Devils can't hang like that. I'm just saying stylistically, this is a team that uh, succeeds a lot. They're not the built for that, at least. Yeah. yeah. So a great challenge for them. I'm going to say uh, Rangers in seven. Uh, but I do think that this is one of the series that could go either way, depending on which team manages to impose its will on the other. Yes, 100%. I think that, I think this is a, like, and keep in mind this is total speculation on my part, but based on how they're built, because we normally, what we normally see in the first game is the high, like, everyone's got those jitters, everyone's ready to rock, and we see high-flying stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, teams are, you know, they have that extra stride, and as the series wears on, it becomes more of that chess match, becomes more of that trench warfare type thing. Right. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Devils sort of take an early lead, maybe win their first two games. Sure. And then as the series grinds down, mm. then New York starts to get their footing and maybe, you know, come back and make it a 2-2 tie heading into game five and right. stuff. I... I look at these two rosters and I just go like, man, these are two very good teams. Totally. Like the New York, like the Devils are the Devils. They they're an incredible possession team, yeah. incredible defensive team that also is able to just like push you on the rush. They have high end talent, Jack Hughes. They got Timo friggin Meyer. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesper Brat, guys like that. But then I look at the Rangers and I'm like, they're two deadline additions. Were two recent Stanley Cup winners yeah. who still have a lot in their tank in Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane. Yeah. Um, then they and they definitely have the the uh, uh, sort of. I would say the edge in goaltending for sure. And in a guy whose down season was like a 919 save percentage. Right. Um, his bad year was everybody else's good His year. bad year is a year that would get like an, any other goalie in the league, like a $6.57 million contract. Right. Like it's, you know, it, it's, it's insane that we call it a bad year. Like yeah. it's absurd. He was one of the best goalies in the league. And we're like, oh, but he's not a 930. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now he's going to play in a playoff game against like a heated sort of like cross highway arrival, really. Yeah. yeah I think it's cool. I, I think the Rangers are going to win this. This is purely based on goaltending, which mm -hmm. is usually my X factor in determining. But this is another series that I think is going seven. I think this is going to be a knockdown, drag them out. Yeah. Like, this is going to be just a, 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 a complete slugfest, a street fight. Uh, yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, this is going to be the Sopranos versus the Lupertazis, um, you know, which is the New Jersey crew when they got into a big fight with the New York crew in mm -hmm. the Sopranos. Um, I think this is going to be an extremely entertaining series. I think the fan bases are going to be extremely entertaining in totally. this. Um, just, just based on the amount of New York accents they're going to be thrown at each other. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. But yes, I think it's going to be Rangers in seven. But boy, oh boy, uh, I think it's going to be close. So Tony Soprano, do not uh, break my kneecaps for saying that. There you go. Um, all right. Lightning versus Leafs. Uh, Leafs in five. Next series. Yeah. Um, so it's you know, <laughs> um, Yeah, Lightning versus the Leafs. Uh, you know, the second repeat, um, one team, you know, coming in hot and are a markedly better roster than the mm -hmm. last time they, they faced, whereas another team, you know, the other, the other team, they've played more hockey over the past three years than any other team has um, and admitted during their, their, uh, uh, their, their availability today that there was a lot of mental fatigue that, mm -hmm. came, that came down to them in there in, in uh, the stretch drive, what do we see this? We're going to be at game one tonight. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, what do we see of this? To me, this is almost purely a psychological series yes. in terms of like, you know, the Leafs, we all know they need to break through. This group has never won in the first round. Uh, and they, ju they just have to do it. Now, the benefit, obviously, you have your superstars, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, um, you have John Tavares, you have William Nylander, but you added Ryan O'Reilly uh, at the deadline, and Nola Chari for that matter as mm -hmm. well. Um, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, Conn Smythe winner, you know, consummate playoff performer, two-way center. Uh, I think he gives the Leafs an edge here because the Tampa roster is not as deep as it once was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously they have the highlight guys. They have mm -hmm. Kucherov, they have Stamkos, they have Braden Point. Uh, Anthony Sorelli, to me, is one of the finest two-way players oh. in the game and has been for years now. Yeah. But you look at, as the roster goes down, it's like the depth just doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. And again, because they've played so much, it's like, how much can you put on Victor Hedman, especially with no Ryan McDonough anymore? And he had a down year this year. And he had a down year because yeah. he was doing a lot. You know, Mikhail Sergachev, I think you could say the same thing. It's like, how much can you get from him, even though he is younger? Um, you still have Andre Vas Vasilevsky in net. And again, one of the best playoff goaltenders of this generation. Ever. Or ever, that's yeah. fair. Um, so the Leafs, it's like, on paper, they should win this series, but they actually have to do it. Yes. And they have to have that belief, yep. and they have, they have to pull it off. And Tampa, I mean, as much as you want to win every year, they're kind of playing with house money where they've got their rings, um, you know, they have their, they've established that legacy. Mm -hmm. To them, it's like, hey, let's do it again. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, well, it's funny because Pat Maroon basically said that exact same thing. Where he this morning, where he's like, "You only you only get to play this sport so many so, for so long. For sure. Why not try and win every time?" Yeah. Um, so I, I did a fun little trip down memory lane yesterday in, pre in preparation for this podcast, um, and that I was looking at the Leafs. I was looking at the lineups between these two teams for Game One, mm. and I cannot believe. And, I, and keep in mind, I, I I firmly believe that up until this year. Last year's Leafs roster was like the deepest I had seen in a very, very long time. Potentially, I'm 27 years old, potentially my lifetime. I cannot believe that Leafs team pushed that Tampa roster to seven. Yeah. The, the, this Leafs team is so, like Ilya Lubushkin was on the top pair. Jack mm. Campbell was in net. The fourth line was Wayne Simmons, Ky uh, uh, Colin Blackwell, and Kyle Clifford. Mm. That was literally the fourth line. It, this, wow. this team is so much better at every single position group. And I think Tampa got worse. Yeah. Tampa is, and John Cooper like literally was emotional about it, talking about losing Ryan McDonough and his prodigal son, uh, Andre Pilat. Right. And then on top of that, we don't know if Tanner Janot is going to play. And he's, he was a big uh, uh, roster addition. And then you're relying on guys like Mikey Isomont mm. and, uh, uh, you know, and, and Nick Perbix yep. and guys like that and, uh, to, to sort of round out your depth. I think the Leafs, at least on paper, like you said, are way, like, they, they should be heavily favored. Yep. And a lot of odds makers have. Like, I believe Dom LeCision, former THN intern That's right. um, at The Athletic, said that I believe the Leafs had, like, a... I believe it was a 69% to 39% or um, 31% uh, uh, like chance of the Leafs mm. in terms of odds and winning. But you're right, they have to do it. And uh, it's, it's going to be tough. But I'm I, like legit, and that wasn't a joke. I'm legitimately saying Leafs in five. That is my, that's my bold prediction. I think mm. if, it, if they get over this hump, I think that it is, it is going to be far less climactic than people think it's going to be. Fair. I'm going to say Leafs in six because it cannot be Leafs in seven. Yes. I think if you get to, if you get to game seven, 
I'm taking Tampa all the way. Right. I just think that that is such a boogeyman, yeah. and inevitably it will go there. But I think if what if this if the Leafs are able to to you know to conquer this, and I do, they'll do it quickly. I think this is the best chance they will ever have. Really, mm-hmm. I think it'll be like I said, a lot more, a lot less climactic than people are making it out to be. All right, Fair. Jets and Golden Knights. There's not a ton really to talk about in this in this series, at least in my in my end. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I look at the Jets and you know Connor Halbuck in net. I think that's a huge advantage for mm-hmm. them. Uh, Vegas, on the other hand, getting healthy. Mark Stone back, uh, and again, you know, a group that has a ton of weapons out there. Um, I'm I'm gonna take Vegas. Uh, it, it just felt like Winnipeg. Uh, you know, we know they struggled down the stretch. Uh, February was a nightmare for them, and you know, they barely got in. Rick Bone is a very good playoff coach. Yes. So if he can give them the winning strategy, then I think it'll be tight. Um, but I think Vegas is just like, you know, Bruce Cassidy has been great behind the bench for them. Um, it'll be very interesting. I'm, I'm going to say Vegas in six. I can mm-hmm. see it going seven as well. Yeah, I'm going Vegas in six. Mm-hmm. I think Vegas is just deeper. I yeah. think they like. I think they have... In terms of like playoff, playoff uh, useful high-end talent, I think they're doing that. Vegas, you know, has already beaten the Jets in the playoffs before, if yeah. we remember. Um, I, I, I just, I think they're better. Like, I just think they are a better hockey team. Yeah, it's really kind of what it comes down to. And and it just seems like the vibes are way better in Vegas than there are in the fact. Yeah, like like the 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 Jets. I would say, like, uh, this generation of Jets hockey was saved by the fact they made the playoffs this year. Because mm. if they didn't, everyone was gone, I think. Because we saw the longest and most dramatic eye roll of all time uh. from, from Rick Bonus talking about Mark Shifley and how he basically was, like, going against his offensive coaching and stuff. I think there's still a lot of, I think there's still a lot of tension in mm. that organization. There has been for a long time. And uh, Vegas, everyone just seems kind of happy there. You know, uh, they're getting their captain back. Yep. They're arguably the best player. Yep. They're, they're excited. Phil Kessel is on your team for a playoff run. Always fun. I'm not betting against that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jack Eichel, his first ever playoff game. Yeah. I'm excited for it, and I think it's going to be Vegas in six. Connor Hellebuck will get, will get Winnipeg to that sixth game, I think. But yeah, it's Vegas. And finally, we got the, uh, the defending Stanley Cup champion, the Colorado Avalanche versus the, the rookie, the, the, new, the newbie uh, team, yeah. uh, the Seattle Kraken, making their first ever playoff appearance. Yeah, I'm going to say Colorado in five here, not to be a downer. Uh, but, you know, Seattle, I mean, full marks to them. Dave Haxtell's done a great oh. job with that group. And credit to Ron Francis, too, oh, yeah. for having a monster summer. Yes. Um, and, you know, Seattle, a lot of it's kind of done by committee. Vince Dunn, obviously, a breakout star for them on defense. I don't think they have the goaltending, especially going against a Colorado team that has Nathan McKinnon mm-hmm. uh, and has Miko Rantanen. You could just list their Campbell. entire forward core, basically. A Colorado yeah. team that has Colorado. Yes, exactly. Um, that has hockey players. That has hockey like, players that are on the avalanche. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's too bad Gabriel Landeskog uh, will not be part of that journey. Uh, but I'm sure off the ice he's going to be uh, a huge leader for them. Um, yeah, for Seattle, I think it's great for the fan base that they'll be able to experience playoff hockey. And I think maybe that game three. Three mm-hmm. in Seattle. I could see the Kraken stealing that one, maybe, maybe. in overtime. Uh, let's, let's, let's just Disney it up a bit. Why not, right? Um, but otherwise, I think Colorado's pretty much going to roll. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be Colorado on a sweep. Um, I think it'll be a lot like the, when the Winnipeg Jets came back to Winnipeg and had that first playoff uh, ex- series where they got swept in the first round, but mm. the crowd was nuts. I yeah. think it'll be like that, where it'll be a great first taste for that organization, getting, you know, getting this hockey team back. It's going to be good, but man, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Like, yeah. Yeah. I uh, think you have Martin Jones in that. Like, 
that's all I need to say. Like, or, or Philip Grubauer, both of them were sub 890 this year. So yeah. I, I Plus Colorado knows all about Philip Grubauer because he played for them. Exactly. Um, all right, so that's, that, those are our predictions, great. Now, now it's my time for revenge. Let's do it. Um, because Ryan, last week, he did the game, you know, is it an Ikea uh, furniture name or is it uh, a, a metal name? So I took, I took half of that, took okay. Ikea furniture, but Ryan knows everything about, you know, like hardcore bands. Yes. I know a lot about Star Wars. Ah, so I'm ooh, doing okay. Star Wars character nice. or Ikea. And nice, I have to turn, nice. my, I have to turn my, my fair, computer fair. around from you. Yes. But let's start with, uh, with one. So it's going to be, is this a Star Wars character or is this an Ikea furniture item? Awesome. Let's start off with Bib Fortuna. Bib Fortuna. Okay, I'm going to go Star Wars character on that one. Okay. Yeah, because Ikea items tend to be one name. Okay, yeah. You got that. Boom. You got that. That's great. All right. Now let's go to another one, Bosk. Bosk. Uh, would that be SK? It's B-O-S-S-K. Ooh. That feels like one too many S's for Ikea, so I'm going to say Star Wars. Wow, you got it. You're two for, man. All right. Boom. Here's I know a, my Ikea. You really do. It's, it's crazy. All right. Here, we're going to go for another one. All right. Sebulba. That to me is, I don't want to say definitely Ikea, but I'm going to say Ikea. That's a Star Wars character. Ooh, Very okay. interesting. All right, another one we got here is Rittig Olga. One word or two? Two. Uh, I'm going to say Star Wars. Then. That's an Ikea. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay, what there is it? Go. It is, uh, the Rittig Olga is a uh, uh, curtain ring, I gotcha, believe. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Um, I've probably bought them before. Exactly. So now, look, they can be two names. They can be one. It doesn't... I guess exactly. so. Here's another one. I'm going to go Yaro Tapal. Yaro Tapal. Yaro with a Y or a J? J. With a J. Ooh. Are there soft J's in the Star Wars universe? Very good question. You tell me, man. Um, I'm going to go Star Wars on that one. That is a Star... I, was, I thought that was going to be the one that got you because of the soft J. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting there. All right, and the last one, mm. Seer Junda. That one to me sounds Ikea. That's a Star Wars character. Ooh, well so played, Ryan well did better than I did on his game, absolutely. But man, that, uh, but see how difficult it is? It is. And these are, uh, to be fair, I did some deep cut names from Star I wouldn't Wars. have known either you, way. So. If I had said Yoda, you probably would have guessed yeah, that. if you said Moise Eisley, I would have been yeah, like, Ikea. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> no, I would hope not. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Um, but no, that, so that, uh, that's it. Ryan at least did better, but I got him a little bit, so my, right. my thirst for vengeance uh, remains unquenched. Um, Slaked good. at least? And that, at least, yeah. But, but vengeance Perhaps is what, it's what gets me up in the morning, and uh, at least I can, I'm, still, I'm still riding. So the, enjoy the, the first round of the playoffs here. We'll be back next week, obviously, to uh, you know, recap a lot of series that will you know, be to, either towards finishing or getting into the... Into the uh, the later stages. Ryan, we'll see you at the game tonight Indeed. for Game 1 Leafs Lightning. Um, and yeah, enjoy, enjoy, uh, enjoy this lovely time in the sports calendar.